All right, and we're back at it here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. I've got two great guys here. There are Team Game Source, otherwise known as Stereo Monroy. It is Jamie Monroy and his son, Mr. Tony Monroy. It is Captain Marvel. It's hit big all over the world. We are now in spoiler territory. We have reached the land, and we are now going to cross into it when it comes to Captain Marvel. So let's first off say right now... Everybody dies. There you go. Just just like a Finchers Infinity War. But I will say we are reaching now, and we're surpassing, and we're going into spoiler territory. Guys, whatever you want to do, it's free reign. The next few minutes are yours in regards to what you want to talk about and how you want to break that down, and I'll go from there. Jamie, I'll start with you when it comes to spoilers territory. The double twist ending, which concerns... I guess what the Cree and the scrolls, which of course is portrayed one way in the trailers, well, as you and I both know, it's quite different when it ends up in the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your thoughts on that twist. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Did you see it coming a mile away? Uh, it was one of those parts of the things for me that where I said the movie got quick and to the point and kind of did what it needed to do. That was kind of one of those things for me wrapped into that to where I could have done with or without it. I, I honestly feel worse for the people that left before the end credit scene. Like they had no idea in the world <laughs> there would be one. Yeah, exactly. That, that's still, even with the Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, everybody should know right now to stay for the end credits. But people even left the theater during when I watched it, which was just amazing. I think people, once they saw the mid credit scene and Avengers Endgame, being set up either it's a scene in Avengers Endgame or something to set up that movie where Captain Marvel returns after the beeper finally shuts off in the middle of the Avengers headquarters with the surviving members of the Avengers all right there then there you go they turn around and suddenly she's there so it looks like she's ready for battle in Avengers Endgame but Tony when it comes to actual the the movie itself the double twist is that Jan Rog, who was a mentor to her over the past six years, was actually someone all along, along with the Supreme Intelligence played by Annette Benning. Jan Rog, the entire Space Force, and the Supreme Intelligence of Kree were actually ended up being the bad guys because they actually want to just go ahead and exterminate the scrolls. And all the scrolls are doing at this point is trying to find a home for their race. So your thoughts on the actual double twist of the movie. For me, I thought a little bit in advance because of the fact that Jude Law, he just, you could just tell Jude Law was chomping at the bit to become something other than what he was during the course of the film. And once they did flip the switch, it just seemed like he was enjoying himself so much more. So your thoughts on the actual double switch itself, as far as the scrolls and the Cree, and did you like it? And do you think it sets up something for the future between the continued war between those two races? Um, I, I, I actually liked it a lot which I guess might sound weird to some people. It might not to others. But for someone who, like me, I, I've i always known who Captain Marvel is. Like, that's such a staple of a character. But I never I never dwelled, like, into origins or anything like that, whether it had been from comics. So I don't know, like, how much it keeps its continuity. But obviously this is MCU, so either way it's different. I liked the switch between them because... Honestly, it kind of just makes sense. Like the good guys might not always seem like the good side, good the good guys, just because she was on that side at the beginning of the movie. That doesn't mean she was on the right side. So I think that's why that it was able to be set up so well. And um, I thought that Jude Law definitely portrayed a, a villain in a really good way. And then the, the Scrolls, I like them a lot as as like a race. <laughs> I think that's they're really neat, and they definitely have some funny humor going for them. So I think that'll be enjoyable. I hope they that gets set up with something in the future, whether it be a sequel or maybe even in Endgame, because as we saw towards the end of the movie, the uh, Captain Marvel and them going off to go find a home. Whether or not they were able to finish that war, I guess maybe we'll hear something about it. Maybe not, but I hope they get brought back up. I'm pretty sure that they will in Captain Marvel 2 at the very least. I'm sure that because it's out there within a space 
frame as far as whether it's you know in 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 the upcoming movie like i said captain marvel 2 guardians of the galaxy 3 or anything else that the mcu puts out there in the next phase that involves space i think the cream or the scrolls may be involved in some form or fashion i know jamie that there was a lot of good things that you talked about when it concerns captain marvel as far as all the spoilers and things of that nature now that we're going into is there anything in regards to maybe the the i guess the accident and actually how it happened that you really liked in fact that it was actually annette benning the real annette benning's character on earth was actually not a human it was actually a kree after all who was trying to go ahead and save the scrolls and I know a lot of people might have been confused at that point, but was there any point in time where you thought this is jumbling all over the place when it concerns the storyline with the double switch and the intentions of Annette Benning as far as her trying to go ahead and save the scrolls in the first place? Not really, because I think that should be implied as far as this goes, because with them being shape-shifting and everything else, you have to be able to keep up with the fact that you could be seeing one thing, but being fed totally different subject as far as what you're seeing or vice versa being fed the truth and thinking you're seeing something that might not be what you're seeing and and i truly enjoyed ben mendelson this time around as far as what we initially thought was a bad guy as far as the head of the scrolls talos but at, in this point in time he just really looked like he was having a good time because the fact that he wasn't actually, like you said, as he actually was looking like in the first place, he ended up being good after all. He looking out for only the best of his race as far as taking the scrolls, like like, like we've talked about, to a new home and with the help of Captain Marvel near the end of the movie. But we've talked about some of the other stuff going on. Some of the things that bothered me was the lack of, I guess involvement from everybody outside of Yonrog and also Annette Benning when she played the Supreme Intelligence. What were your thoughts, Tony, in regards to the Star Force and also uh, Ronan the Accuser? I had said before, Ronan the Accuser in Guardians of the Galaxy was one of my favorite villains because it seemed like the actor Lee Pace was just having a great time. Mm -hmm. In this case, I just think it looked like he was so much more subdued. His voice was actually totally different than what it was in Gardens of the Galaxy. It just seemed like it was like Lee Pace, the accuser, instead of Ronan, the accuser. Because he's not in the film hardly at all. Right, He's right. just there. You know, it's almost like a blink and you miss it. And the Star Force seemed totally underused. I think that there, there it might have its reasons. I, I can actually understand. I think that might be why he might have seemed subdued, because he didn't have that much time in the movie. Like, it, it would be like... A Luke Skywalker pull, you're putting so much emphasis on it, but he's only there for a second type thing. So maybe that's why it was things might have been changed, or maybe he didn't seem like he was, I guess. But as for the Star Force, I think we could have saw more, could have seen more. However, I wouldn't have wanted that to kind of mix in against the story at hand, which was all right, the, the origin story of Captain Marvel. This is about her and her movie. And I think getting I, I, the, the best thing I liked about it was it felt like we were learning as an audience at the same time as Captain Marvel was learning about herself. It wasn't like we were being told a story. It was like we were a part of seeing this unfold. And I think that's why that was that was OK to to maybe skip over a lot of the Star Force stuff, because honestly, their characters, while they seemed all really cool, I think they just worked so much better like towards the end of the movie with all the action than they did like in the beginning with the mission. Like I don't want to, I don't want to see an hour, hour and a half of Captain Marvel being this like rogue person on missions and <laughs> like defying rules and stuff like that because you see that enough in movies already. Fair enough. I just think as well that. They could have done better as far as taking care of the Star Force and actually making them more important into the complex of the movie. But you know what? Maybe they have plans for the Star Force at some point in time down the road, possibly even a Captain Marvel 2. Looking for an edge the next time you take on your favorite video game? Then check out Vitabrace High Performance Gamer Wristbands. Packed with the power of fruit seed oil, Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve performance giving you a better gaming experience. 
Head to MiracleFruitOil.com and use the promo code MEDIA10 to get $10 off your Vitabrace purchase. Whether you're looking to beat the time on your latest speed run or are fighting your way to the top on your favorite multiplayer or battle royale, Vitabrace can help you reach your gaming goals. Buy Vitabrace today at MiracleFruitOil.com. That's MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace. Win with it. But Jamie, I know we talked about it on the Monday show, and here comes my friend regarding Goose the Cat, because I saved her for you, my friend. Goose the Cat was a flirkin, a flirkin, 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 which is a cat that actually spews out tentacles and also swallows up tesseracts in this movie. So your thoughts on Goose's role and, and the whole thing. Did you like the fact that it has those tentacles, that capability? And were you surprised the fact that Goose played such a major role in the film and has not been seen since in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Can I point out the obvious vibe that it gave me? Get that whole Men in Black vibe? Absolutely. <laughs> that one scene where I guess uh, she's giving birth in the car and Will Smith is like standing right next to her and then while uh, Tommy Lee Jones is talking to the guy. And, so it wasn't you know, just me that got that hold. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the tentacles grabbed it. And also, to an extent, Groot. Groot has a, almost that same type of ability as far as grabbing a whole bunch of bad guys at one time and instead of mm-hmm. you know throwing them around all the place and killing them, Goose actually goes ahead and grabs them all and eats them. So. <laughs> Do you think this is their way of throwing in a darker, deeper Groot into the universe right now? <laughs> Maybe, possibly, who knows if he gets off the Defender game. You never know when he comes back, uh, or if he comes back, but most likely he'll come back from the dead in Avengers Endgame, you know, and right back to the Defender game, which almost any adolescent will do. But I <laughs> I will say it, it's just, it was, you're right, Goose stole the, stole the show anytime Goose was on the screen. I'm just concerned as far as how are they going to explain Goose's absence for the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe? That's something that I want to know about. Goose, I imagine it's going to show up somewhere in Avengers Endgame so they can try to explain it. But to me, it just that Goose was not involved at all in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even as just a cat, kind of just eh, gives me that, you know. I'm almost wondering that. Have we seen a cat and not seen the cat and just not realized it? Has it been so subtle that they're going to play it off that way? Maybe, maybe I don't know. I just it seems very. There, I'll be totally in a hundred percent agreement with you, though. I mean, there's never been any emphasis on a cat until now. Exactly, right. and now they're going to have to try and shoehorn Goose in because everybody loves Goose, and everybody that watched the movie is going to end up loving Goose, and you know, going to sell a lot of Funko toys, shirts, yada yada yada, and it's just the fact that. You're now going to have to wedge Goose into the Marvel Cinematic Universe somewhere and explain where Goose has been laying eggs. And <laughs> according to the comic books, Goose lays like fifty thousand eggs or something like that. Lots and lots of eggs uh, at one time, and and it just yeah, that's great and all. But you're going now going to have to shoehorn it in. It's going to seem like uh, I don't know. It's just going to seem a little lazy writing to do it at this point. Instead of having that forethought way back when about where you wanted to go with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and little touches like that. It's little touches like that throughout the film that held it back for me. And I'll discuss that with Josh coming up here later on in the program. But yeah, it's just, it was kind of uh, one of the little things that bothered me. One also, one of the things that bothered me was the Tesseract. And the fact that the Tesseract does show up in the film. It does get used by Annette Benning's doctor character while she is on Earth. She's a Kree agent that actually was put on Earth for a secret mission, but decided she wanted to go ahead and help the scrolls make a transwarp engine. In the process, she needed to go ahead and procure the Tesseract in order to go ahead and make this transwarp engine so that they could go ahead and find it home. Tony, your thoughts on the Tesseract? And at the very last scene, it is... Our friend, Goose the Cat, who originally on the ship that they were on before they went ahead and went back to Earth, actually went ahead and consumed the Tesseract so that they could hold it because, God forbid, a Happy Days lunchbox could hold it, even though it actually, if you remember Captain America, the first Avenger, at the very end, when Red Skull and Captain America were fighting after 
Red Skull gets sapped up into you know the space as far as that scene is concerned, you see the Tesseract actually burning through metal, like acid, as it falls to the ocean. And no human or no mortal wants to touch it because it can just like really do some damage on you. So yeah. I want to hear your thoughts on the last scene with Goose the Cat, who steals the show at every point in time, except for the last scene, the end credit scene, after all the credits are done, who, instead of hawking up a hairball, hawks up the Tesseract, which instead of going through and just burning through every material does, just lands right there and just sits right there on Nick Fury's desk. Explain that to me, my friend. Explain it. Explain it. There, there's Fonzie lunchbox. Hey, <laughs> exactly. How can you keep it in the lunchbox if it actually eats through metal in the first place? Yeah, that's it's so difficult, right? Because I mean, we're not the ones that uh, write these movies. We're not the one that that makes these. I up. wish we were. I don't know how that would work out. <laughs> I thought it was a little weird to see the original scene, like the con- the consuming scene in the first place, because it's like, oh, well, the- that just happened, I guess. And I wasn't expecting to see that. And then I was also wondering, okay, so they just consumed, like, Goose just consumed this Tesseract. How is this going to play into where we found the Tesseract in Captain America? Because th- that was like the first, or that was the time where we saw it. Well, in, in oh, no, Captain no. America: The First okay. Avenger, yeah, that was that took okay. The, yeah, after it so, falls through through that through right. uh, Red Skull ship, or plane, or jet, or whatever it called it at that point in time, and falls to the ocean floor. Yeah. After the war is over, Howard Stark finds the Tesseract. Okay. That's... And some point in time, it's kept in in uh, isolation, but somehow the uh, Annette Benning's character, the Doctor, mm-hmm. finds it, uses it for that as a power source for that transwarp okay. engine. Right, that's okay. So th- that's where the, the connection just seems weird. Like it, it, the Tesseract is always bouncing between so many places. And then you got the fake te- Tesseract that was on Asgard as well. And then obviously it's destroyed now, but it's so weird seeing it everywhere. And then it's the Tesseract. Does it have a mind of its own to where it's like, you know, I want to melt today. I want to just melt through stuff today. <laughs> or, I mean, seriously, like, exactly. It's, it's like, does it have its own, like, ability to do that? Because it's the Tesseract. Like, how do you even explain that to begin with? And then, obviously, I don't know. I, I think it's weird. Obviously, it is there's a weird. lot of holes you can poke through different things. But I don't think that should bring the whole, like, vibe of the movie down at the same time. You know? No, no. But I just it's just one of the many logistical reasons why... And, and logic errors and and story loopholes that that I couldn't put it as high as you guys put it. I thought it was still, like I said, a good movie, but it, you know, it just it wasn't to the point where I enjoyed it as much as you guys did because these were not just little nitpicky things. These were like for me glaring omissions for someone who's watched twenty previous Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe movies. Yeah. So right. I, 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 I can't let totally. it slide as as much as you guys can. I see your point totally, though. Like as much as I let it slide, it's still it didn't get past me. There were still the things there that were upsetting to the point that they were like, it's almost like they threw. (laughs) Okay, don't get me wrong, because this movie is obviously you know what it is, but it's almost like they threw it together like Tokyo Drift. Tokyo Drift came out, was thrown into the mix, and was thrown into the mix totally out of context and out of the way it should have been, and then later down the road they said, oh crap. We never did explain why this, that, and that. So then they had to connect X, Y, and Z to A, B, and C, which still ended up kind of making sense, I guess. Well, kind of making sense of the fact that Shaw, as far as uh, Jason Statham's character, actually supposedly ended up killing Han in the Tokyo Drift, which takes place in a later time, even though it's one of the first movies out. And you also got to remember, everybody's now you know gray and hunky-dory with Jason Statham's character, Shaw, even though he killed the much beloved Han, which uh, you know would, shouldn't be the case, shouldn't be the case at all. Why would he be pals now with Vin Diesel? Okay, they mend fences because he saved the baby, and that in the most recent Fast and Furious. And why is he in the Rock now able to go ahead and have some type of relationship? Although that's the gist of their upcoming Hobbs and Shaw movies. So 
I, it just, that part of it, like you said, it does not make sense. I think it was that when they did that, that was a reach, but that is another spoiler cast entirely when it comes to the Fast and Furious, because yes. that series is almost bad as far as timelines as the X-Men. So we will not go there, but uh, True story. not at least not right now. But it is, once again, Jamie Monroy and Tony Monroy from GameSource. you got to check out their awesome Twitch channels today, Degenerate 2018, and also as well, Dark Tales with two Zs on Twitch as well. So, guys, I, I just cannot thank you enough for going ahead and sharing your thoughts on Captain Marvel, both in a non-spoilery fashion and a spoilery fashion for those that get to listen to it as well. I did touch on one, but didn't go there, but... Was anybody else as let down as um, the reasoning behind uh, Fury's eyeball as I was? Me too, right there. Me too. Yes, the uh, he, that's a major spoiler. How did he? Last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye. Well, that wasn't actually a someone; it was actually a cat. So yeah, just that was just a very disappointing type of deal. So it, it was very disappointing as far as how that was laid out. So agreed. Uh, just, just a poor excuse. Uh, Tony, your thoughts on Goose the Cat actually being the cause and reason why Nick Fury loses an eye? I mean, you, you kind of just... though you, you expected the whole movie because they teased it like four or five different times with his him getting so close with either the cat or in the early bits of the movie uh, that like he obviously got hurt in the eye. So... They kept throwing it around, and then when I say I'm disappointed, a little bit, but at the same time, that the humor kind of makes up for that the fact because I just thought it was hilarious. Like that's such a it, it that would be the way that someone like Nick Fury would lose his eye. Someone it was who's funny. Don't get me wrong. Right, but, but it's not the way it's not the way of the comic books. So it, exactly. A, not only that, it's not the way it was already how many movies ago portrayed very dramatically as to. You know, him trusting somebody. That's right. And Captain America, I believe the Winter Soldier. So when he, he makes that you know famous statement as far as last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye. So I don't know. I'm not in love with it either. I think it should have been under more heroic circumstances. Maybe in the Bogota situation that he talked of where he, he went ahead and saved Robert Redford's daughter and all that. So I don't know. That's just going into details. Even more so in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I agree with you, Jamie, 100%. Guys, it's been great talking to you both in this non-spoiler and spoiler thoughts when it comes to Captain Marvel. Just appreciate your time. Check out everything that they're doing on GameSource and also their Twitch channels. Just so great to have you guys a part of the pop culture cosmos. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. All right, and we're back once again. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here with the Pop Culture Cosmos, along with my good friend, it is Josh Peterson, I'll tell you what, right now, we have both seen Captain Marvel. Josh finally got around to it. Actually, he was trying to get into it, but it's just so jam-packed full of people. And you, you know, Nobody wants to sit up front. You always want to get the good seats. So it took him a couple days extra to go ahead in his neck of the woods to catch Captain Marvel. But he has seen it now. If you would have seen the kind of messages he sent to me after he saw Captain Marvel... With all the things he wanted to talk about, just say what it's. It was something worth it uh, that for him to go ahead and and be able to take the time to explain everything that's going on with Captain Marvel and his thoughts, his spoilerish thoughts when it comes to Captain Marvel. So this is a pop culture cosmos spoiler cast for Captain Marvel. We truly appreciate you joining us 
It is Josh Peterson, my friend. What were your thoughts on Captain Marvel? Well, I, you know, that's too broad of a subject on thoughts on Captain Marvel right now. We'll just start off. When you sat down in, in the theater and you started to watch Captain Marvel, what were you thinking? When I got in there, I wasn't really thinking about much. I wanted to watch the movie and I just... I not was the trying, 15 minutes of trailers? Not the 15 minutes of trailers. Yeah, no, I really just... I wanted to watch the movie because I was eager... I don't know, I was eager to see it, if that makes sense. Not because I wanted to... Uh, I was like, went in ready to bash it. I just wanted to see, like, what all the hype was about. You know, what is it? Is it worth all the, the controversy? Was it... Who, who is in the right about this? So that was what I was more anxious to, to see. As I told you the other day... And as I told uh, some people around the social media asking about how it is, all I can say is I do have a review up at popculturecosmos.com with my distinct thoughts, plus also a score. But most everyone I talk to at a, I guess in a real life scenario, what people I meet in the street, things of that nature, have such fond recollections and also fond feelings for Captain Marvel. And then there's you and I, and we're not saying it's bad. We're not saying it's great. But we're, I think we're something like right somewhere in the middle, don't you think? Yeah, so I came out of it thinking to myself, it wasn't bad, it wasn't good, it was just okay. Like it's not it's not in the upper upper tier of Marvel films, not in the lower tier. It just it floats somewhere in the middle. It just is. And that's something along the lines of I know you you love to go ahead and bash the critical media out there usually as far as your thoughts on, but the overall synopsis, when you look at what Metacritic is, and also to an extent what Rotten Tomatoes, yes, the majority of the reviewers out there are giving it a positive score, but they're not going into like high levels. They weren't, they aren't praising it in the way Black Panther and Avengers: Infinity War was praised at the time they came out. Right, and this is where I, I take issue with the way that this movie is being rated by people. They're giving it like low sevens. Um, but they're still saying you have to go see this movie. Don't don't do that. You know, like IGN, for example, gave it a seven point five. I want to say, but they're like, you absolutely have to go see this movie. Like, if you just tell people what it is, like, no one's gonna think bad about you for for having an opinion on something. I don't know if that's a corporate thing, but like, just tell it like it is. Say it's okay. You know, don't don't be ashamed of saying that because they're they're. They're giving it all this hype, but they're still rating it low, and that feels deceiving to me. Well, at Pop Culture Cosmos Corporate, that's our motto. <laughs> no, you actually did a good job of, of selling it for what it was, and I appreciated that when I was reading your review. Why, thank you, sir. The check is in the mail. But, it, you know, well, let's get down to the degree. Let's get down to some spoilers, thoughts, and whatnot. The, I guess... Biggest takeaway as far as Carol Danvers herself in the film, obviously Brie Larson playing the role, but Brie Larson in the role herself as Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers. It, did you like her overall as a person for Captain Marvel that will fit the role nicely in the movie and then obviously going forward in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Okay, see, I, I did not like Brie Larson as uh, Captain Marvel. It, it, she had some moments where, like, I I felt attached to her, but they're really, it, she was very stale. And I don't know if that was the way that the writer intend the writer and director intended for her to be, but she there wasn't a lot of personality there. And, you know, I get that they're trying to be serious and all that, but it just, it, I don't know, even when she was joking, it felt like there she wasn't actually joking. Like, you know, when your friend goes, just kidding, but you know that they're actually serious about what they're saying? That's what it felt like to me. What did what were your thoughts on that, though? I was curious to hear about it. Well, I for her, I think I think she played a I, I have a little bit more favorable, but not a whole lot more, but I do have more favorable reactions to what I think Brie Larson's performance was in the film. I think she was very brash. I think she was very cocky. And that I liked about her character. I just think that she came over in such a way that when there needed to be moments of tenderness and vulnerability, that that was the part I really truly couldn't get over or truly get drawn in on. To me, it reminds me a little bit about the first Iron Man movie with Tony Stark's brashness 
But as far as some of the other scenes that she's in, it also reminds me of the first Thor movie with Chris Hemsworth. And you've seen the transformation with Chris Hemsworth over the course of the three major Thor films that he was in, as far as his personality, like from Thor Ragnarok to the original Thor has completely been transformed. Maybe that could be in store for Brie Larson's character. Maybe that's some of the things that they would work with with her as far as developing her character. Maybe as she gets more into it with the Captain Marvel 2, which at this point you and I know is a certainty after the kind of money it's making at this point in time. So I think I think for her, I I would I would probably say her performance was okay, a little bit just a little bit better than what I, I think you're you're gauging it as. I think there is hope for the future for her to develop into more of a type of character that you're looking for. I just think it's going to take some time, like it did for Chris Hemsworth, because remember, he was just shouting Shakespeare almost at will in the first two movies. Then he finally actually grew into the role more after the Avengers, after the Avengers Ultron, uh, Age of Ultron, and it just became more like uh, something that we wanted to see from Thor as far as the wisecracking Thor, really having fun on screen, really enjoying what he's doing, really comfortable with, with the role. And maybe that would be the case for Brie Larson. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely see her growing into the role. What, what was weird to me about this whole movie was that she felt like a mashup of Tony Stark and Star-Lord. But then again, the whole movie felt like a mashup of Iron Man and Ga- Guardians of the Galaxy. So I, I was kind of, she didn't feel that original to me and i think that she there's the way that she was written or the way the directing was going or the way she's trying to portray the character there's something about it where i feel like she didn't really get to put her own little spin on it and maybe that had an effect on the way that the character came out but i'm but yeah I'm, i mean I'm, I'm hopeful that things will change going forward she'll grow into the role like you said like chris hemsworth and because it, it took us a, a long time like thor was funny but it, yeah, it took him a, a while to kind of become something that, you know, like a Robert Downey Jr. type situation. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope she she grows into the role. She kind of makes it her own. And maybe just, you know, judging from the critical reception, the the writers of the next film will look at this and be like, OK, well, maybe we can kind of change, play around with the character and the way she acts. And that's something we will not probably see in Avengers Endgame because we do know now after the end credit scene where she, or excuse me, the mid credit scene where she appears at the Avengers facility because she's finally answered the call of the Captain Marvel beeper that she constructed out of Nick Fury's beeper in the movie Captain Marvel. So it looks like she is going to become a player. How big of a player against Thanos in Avengers Endgame, we don't know for sure yet, but we do know that she's in the movie. So I I, I foresee something that she's going to be playing a big enough part because she has to be a foundational piece going forward for the Avengers in the, the subsequent Avengers movies. What I would say, what, four years, six years down the line? Yeah, I mean, that's their plan, I guess, from what I'm reading. But uh, I do want to talk about that that in credit scene for a minute. The cat one was kind of dumb. Spoiler, sorry. Yes, yes. Uh, the, the cat one was, I think, a waste of time because first off, A, you don't know what's happened to the cat over the course of the past, what, 20 some odd years. And yeah. then B, the Tesseract should have ate through right right through Nick Fury's desk if you're going by what happened in Captain America, the first Avenger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the Tesseract was weird for me in the film too because if the lady had it, then wouldn't that how did the lady get it because it went from being in that that village in norway went from being there to being in the possession of red skull and then shield picks it up so how did the lady get it in between all of those events that's what kind of throws me off when i'm thinking about the continuity of this movie and then the other one was uh with the middle the middle credit end scene i think they missed a like that that was just fan service to me. They, I, I feel, I hope that they develop that scene more in the next Avengers film because it seems if they cut that out, they're sacrificing what could really be a cool moment in End War or in Endgame. Because they've done that before, where they've taken scenes from the next film and put it into as a mid credit scene or an end credit scene. Doctor Strange, that happened right after the end of Doctor Strange. And we saw the same thing when it comes to 
I think was it just before, right before Captain America: Civil War, the movie before that. I don't, I don't remember which one was right before it. I have to take a look at my list, but that showing a scene from Captain America: Civil War with Falcon and Captain America uh, taking a look at seeing, uh, I think it's we're in a facility, secret place, whatnot, and and there was the Winter Soldier right there who was just, uh, you know, had all just been finished out of the mind control and all that. Remember that scene? Yeah, that was when he was at the which which scene was that? Was that when he was the first time or the time when he recognized Steve Rogers? Well, it was it was when he was on the run after when he started to recognize uh, Steve Rogers and okay. Steve Rogers was asking, "Okay, do you know who I am?" He said and it, and he uh Winter Soldier had to go ahead and say about, you know, who his mom was and back, a little bit of background. That scene was directly ripped right from the following movie which was captain america civil war and now you're going to have the same thing again possibly because that looks like an organic scene obviously it's not fleshed out in full it's cut in a certain way but it does look like to me that it's it's ripped right from the following movie in avengers endgame but you're right i'm hoping that scene is fleshed out a little bit more so that it doesn't look like it's so abrupt in as far as it's as it's ex- execution per se so those are about end credit scenes and mid credit scenes. Yeah, you're right. The end credit scene was just with with the cat, the flurgan. Did you like Goose the Cat as much as everybody is? Because everybody's just going on and on about how great Goose the Cat is, and now he steals every scene. And yes, he was cute. He was he was cool to an extent to me, and I I enjoyed that part of it. But you know, to me, I think there were some other factors that were made the film a little bit better for me as well. Okay, so my thing with the cat was it didn't need to be in there, but they developed the cat enough to make you think, okay, this is going somewhere. And they kept making the the flirkin joke. They made it enough times to make you think, okay, well, maybe it's not just a cat. So they I I applaud how they committed themselves to the to the gag and they went all the way through with it. But yeah, there's a little incontinuity as far as the tesseract goes and where the cat came from what is the cat how did it get there stuff like that like it was uh there was some stuff that needed to be addressed but they did a good job of committing themselves to it the problem is now they need to explain it for where it's been along with the same thing that they're going to have to explain for captain marvel in endgame Where's that cat been? If that cat was just lounging around nick fury's desk at the time in the 1990s when it coughed up the tesseract what happened since then that's something I'm not jiving with. That's just a small part of it, mind you. And we're just holding on to small things as opposed to what, you know, the the big excuse that Captain Marvel has to make for her absence in regards to Avengers Endgame when, when some, if somebody asks her that question or at a later date. But I think that question is going to get answered in Avengers Endgame personally. I just thought the cat was cool, but it just didn't seem to be something that was just, I don't know. It just, it was all right. It was all right for what it was. So I just think the performances, and to me, it was more of a performance laden movie. And I think if you are going to give it a positive score, it has to be because of performances. The action itself was eh, all right. The sequences were all right. They totally wasted Star Force, I think, as far as as a whole, and especially Cor- the relationship between Korath and Ronan the Accuser with only one little scene where you see that little hint of maybe I'm going to work with you in the future type deal, but that really didn't pan out. I mean, it would be, if you would have never known that the Guardians of the Galaxy movie exists, you would have never known there would have been a a future collaboration between the two. Plus, you don't really get a sense of where Korath gets those implants that the one Dave Bautista rips out at the end of the movie I don't believe I saw any there or any situation where, where they're called for, for some implants for on Korath. So, I, like I said, I just think the store force as a whole and also the accusers were really just wasted in the movie. Yeah, so that's one I did want to talk about was Ronan the Accuser. They kind of dismantled his character because he was... He was- it, it sounded to me... Well, I, I put it this way. I said to Jamie and Tony Monroy of GameSource that it sounded more like Lee Pace the Accuser instead of Ronan the Accuser. <laughs> it sounded like the guy from The Hobbit, uh, who is also Lee Pace. Uh, well, he looked in, in Guardians of the Galaxy. I think he's one of the best villains uh, ever in the Marvel yeah, because he, he looked like he was having fun. He looked like he was enjoying and relishing role a lot, like Ben Mendelsohn did in Captain Marvel, which makes him to me also one of the the better. I don't I don't say a, a, opponents because he turned up not being an opponent, but it just it just to me it seemed like he was having so much fun in Guardians of the Galaxy. And in this role, his voice is different, 
It's his whole mannerisms and whole look is different to the point where it's like, okay, maybe they just didn't go all out as far as trying to go ahead and have any forethought into tying it into GOTG. He, he didn't need to be in the movie, and that's what kind of throws me off about that. But well, I guess his his paycheck uh, certainly says otherwise. Right, right, but. It, <laughs> Yeah, I guess so, but it, it just seems... Okay, Josh, okay, Disney's calling. Do you want to go ahead and appear in the movie for 10 minutes for uh, X amount of cash? Sure, you can make a fool of me however you want to. But, yeah, yeah, it's just... it. They kind of dismantled his character a little bit, and same thing with uh, you know the other guy played by Jimon Hatsu. I forget. What, what yes, yes, yeah. Jimon uh, Hatsu. And yeah. oh, I want to ask you one thing regarding Ronan the Accuser. At the very end, when he before he blasts off in space, he says he's going to go after Captain Marvel and just forget about the Tesseract, which makes absolutely no sense since he wanted a stone, an Infinity Stone, later on in GOTG. Well, okay, so that makes me wonder, are they setting up for a sequel that's going to be kind of like Wonder Woman, where they jump into maybe you know five or six years down the line, or is it going to pick up after Infinity War? Who knows? I think they're just kind of leaving little breadcrumbs for where they could possibly go and letting fans speculate on what it could be. It's kind of weird how you know he he was so you know uh, just adamant about getting the uh, what which stone was it the purple one in in um, GOTG? Oof, I don't remember. Hold on, Infinity Stones. Well, it, it just it, he was after uh, certain Infinity Stones in GOTG. What is the Power Stone? Power Stone. Okay, so he wanted the Power Stone in GOTG, but he did want the Tesseract, which is an Infinity Stone in and of itself, encased in, you know, obviously encased in as far as in the square blue housing that it was. And how is it that Tesseract, anyways, was contained within uh, the confines of a Happy Days lunchbox? Well, again, how is it that the Tesseract is, was even with that lady in the first place if S.H.I.E.L.D. allegedly had it ever since Iron Man's dad picked it out of the Arctic after they're looking for Steve? Well, I, I think it has something to do with the Project Pegasus, that that deal as far as... Uh, I, and I think that gets mentioned in Iron Man too, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember. I'll have to go back and watch it. But yeah, it's just it seemed like there's inconsistencies that didn't really make sense. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. And that, to me, was part of the problem with Captain Marvel, and that it had some logic gaps that I couldn't overcome to give it a really high score. But there is some positive signs, and obviously we both give it a positive enough review as far as giving it a, our thoughts as far as it being okay as far as a movie is concerned. And to me, I think, really, Nick Fury being able to be de-aged as far as so well, and to me, this is the best de-aged job ever on film because of the fact that they had to do so many scenes of de-aging, plus also his performance, he had to be a completely different Nick Fury than the one we know of in the Avengers Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, see, that was that was kind of on my dislike category for that. It's the fact that they made one of the toughest BA people in the MCU out to be like a sidekick. And a, uh, it just, it, I don't know, I didn't, it was funny and I liked watching him. I like seeing him come back, but it just didn't sit right with me because it didn't, it seems too inconsistent with who he is as a character that's already been developed. But then again, that's who, who he was in the early 90s before all the, you know, alien stuff and all the superhero stuff started coming around for him and he became aware of that surrounding. So that, that completely changed him. He huh? was a soldier, remember? He was a soldier before he was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. So yeah, he, he was it, with all the bees and, and uh, Budapest and Bucharest and all that. Yeah, You're right, Ryan. Doesn't, so that's what doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. I didn't really like it that much. Yes or no? Did you like the fact that on how he lost his eye thanks to the uh, assistance of the cat, the Flurgan, Goose the cat, as far as scratching him and causing him to lose his eye? 
that was incredibly stupid. I, I agree. So here's the thing. They had a big opportunity right there. So in the comics, at least in the in the continuities that I've read, he loses his eye from Wolverine. That's why the three claws are there, the three claw marks. So they had with with uh, Disney acquiring Fox, they had a tremendous opportunity right there to kind of show how that happened. But instead, they chose to waste it on a joke. And that was kind of I did not like that. I was not a fan of that at all. I didn't like it either. I know Jamie uh, did not as well. I think that was one of the drawbacks of the film. But we've said a lot of negative things about what we didn't like. I said some things as far as some of the things I liked. I want to know, my friend, you thought the film was okay overall. And you said it's certainly not the worst in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and certainly not the best. But there were some things you had to have liked about Captain Marvel. Yeah, so I got a list here. <laughs> of stuff. I'm prepared this time. I have my notes here. So likes here. I, I love the setting. Love the 90s setting. Blockbuster was cool. It was a nice little callback to, to my childhood. And I uh, love seeing the, the Street Fighter arcade in that bar. That was cool. Just the, the setting, the cars, like seeing all that stuff. That was cool. It felt like top, it had a, a Top Gun type feel to it. And I really enjoyed that. Also, the Stan Lee intro, really good. Like very touching. The, the way they change the way the Marvel thing on the screen instead of the comic book pages showing all the heroes, it shows different clips of Stan Lee. Another thing I really liked was the Kevin Smith shout outs, both of them. So you have the one where Stan Lee's on the train and he's reading the Mallrats script because that was the same year that Mallrats came out. And also they do another callback to it when they have the alien, the scroll on the table and they're looking at its genitals. Like that's another callback to what Stan Lee was talking about in Mallrats. I also, I do love the callback or forward, or I guess, to the Gardens of the Galaxy characters. The return of Nick Fury was cool. Loved Ben Mendelsohn. He was tremendous in that role. Very, a lot of depth. I have never seen him play anything else but a, like an angry, kind of snobby looking villain. And yeah, like, and, and to, that's what I was, that's what and originally before I sat down the movie, I, that's what I thought. Oh, he's playing another villain. Oh, great. Oh, great. But he turns up to having the one of the best performances. He truly, I, I think he truly enjoyed, like we talked about with Lee Pace in Guardians of the Galaxy, it truly looked like he relished the opportunity to play that role because it was something different from what he does. Yeah, yeah. It was it was very unique because I've, you know, again, I've only ever seen him in uh, Star Wars Rogue One and then I saw him in Ready Player One and he was just, he was the same character in both of those movies. And in this, like, it was interesting to see him kind of have some depth. And even, there's something about his voice, too. Like, I really enjoyed hearing his voice come out of a scroll. I don't know what it was. It was just, it was interesting. And seeing him be on the, like, he's got comedic chops. Like, I could, I could totally see him being in a Thor, in like a Thor Ragnarok type movie. Like, he's got a lot of good comedic chops, I noticed. So, yeah, yeah, I was a huge fan. He made a huge difference in the movie for me and, you know, the scales of whether or not I enjoyed it. Okay, uh, let me finish this list here. I got, uh, I like seeing the, like, the hybrid version of the S.H.I.E.L.D. ships, like the one that used to go up into space. Return of Coulson was cool. I hope he comes back into another major MCU movie. But wait, uh, hold on. Coulson is CGI. There was, was CGI? for me some hit and miss. What, he was Coulson CG? CG. Really? Yeah, he was CG. The whole character was? Well, that tells me you like the Coulson. Yes, the Coulson oh. CG was done. Yes, I thought um, that just... is all. That's all CG to make him de-age twenty years. There were some scenes when it comes up to close-ups that were very good. When it goes to a little bit faraway shots, there's one that where he's at the base of his steps that he has uh, Captain Marvel and Nick Fury in his sights at gunpoint, and he decides to let him go. I looked at that face and it looked to me like a little bit plasticky. So uh, that was kind of a little bit of a downer as far as the CG, but overall, his close-ups were really good as well. The textures in these these CG characters are amazing now. The, I, I honestly had no idea. I thought they de-aged him the same way they de-aged uh, Fury. So, uh, but obviously, they got his voice in there, so that was cool. Yeah, I mean, but you you obviously you were impressed with the CG of Coulson because you didn't even know it was CG. No, I didn't. Not at all. You just thought they added some extra hair. Yeah, that's <laughs> I honestly did. You know, and the last thing I got on my like list, it had it had a pretty good soundtrack. Granted, I have some quarrels with them playing the the no doubt during the fight scene because it kind of I'll I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, the soundtrack was pretty solid. Nice '90s stuff going on there, and the uh, playing Nirvana when she was talking to uh, the 
the AI supreme leader or whatever her name was. That was pretty cool. I think they should have played Nine Inch Nails and not just have a t-shirt. Or actually, what I found out as far as through various news sources and what reporting out there is that that it's not, not a, actually even an official and uh, Nine Inch Nails shirt. And I think uh, it was a fake Nine Inch Nails shirt. I believe they couldn't get their hands on a real one. So that was an, a fake one. So, mm-hmm. so um, I would have liked to hear some songs of Nine Inch Nails. That would have been right better. There. Yeah, on on the soundtrack note, I loved when she was talking on the phone and in the back you saw the posters of like Bush and Pearl Jam and they had uh Smashing Pumpkins albums in there. I I can't remember if uh the Melancholy album was 1994. I thought that was a little bit later cuz that had that had Bullet with Butterfly Wings on. I can't remember when that came out, but yeah, it's really cool. Really cool to see all that stuff. What about the computers? As I joked to Tony and Jamie, as far as the computers are concerned, they were something that I sold back in the day. And yes, they were that slow as far as loading up or trying to get on the internet. <laughs> that, that was actually really funny because uh, they're like, what is it doing? It's loading. But even when it loads, like I remember having CD-ROMs when I was a kid playing on my dad's computer. It would not, even when the audio file came up, you had to have a serious computer in order for it to not go but uh, 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 when playing a sound file yeah absolutely uh, believe me i know this all too well <laughs> or or to match you know something the visuals would be like 30 seconds ahead of the audio or vice versa so it'd be kind of <laughs> funny if that's the case my my sister's first computer was uh was a tower but it had one of the very first blu-ray players in, and she was super stoked so she would put on a movie and it would just go, it would skip, it go, and it looked like just pixels everywhere. And you would not be able to watch a movie on it because it couldn't process it, but it had the drive, which was weird. Very funny, very funny indeed. But yeah, it was a great, some great callbacks to the 90s, which is a definite highlight of the movie. I agree with you on that. Blockbuster video, there's only one left in the world. So uh, it's kind of mm-hmm. nice that they go went ahead and paid tribute to it. In Alaska, right? Or- no, uh, not Alaska. I think it's Washington, if I'm not mistaken. I think the ones in Alaska and the one in Australia were the one, latest ones to close. Yeah. But there is one in Washington, uh, I believe it's Washington. I'll look it up here in a sec. That has gotten so much interest it, because it is the last one that memberships alone will probably keep it alive for at least for some time to come. Well, good, good. Okay, so I, I have a few things on my dislike list that we didn't hit. These are just small things, really. Like the Cree motivations were completely unclear. They didn't really talk about why they were at war, and that kind of bothered me, especially since they took, you know, well-established Marvel theology and flipped it on its side, you know, with uh, Cree being the bad guys instead of the scroll. Oh, I just want to give you an update. It's Bend, Oregon for the last final. So we got to, one of these days, man, we got to go ahead in the pop culture cosmos Learjet. Hopefully not a 787 Max or whatever, the one that's in trouble right now. But a nice Learjet and go on the pop culture cosmos jet to Bend, Oregon to check it out. I'm down. I'm down. I'd love to go back to a blockbuster. Okay. The other, another thing, Jude Law's character was so undeveloped. They, they just really, it hinted at things through words, but they didn't really give us enough backstory on on them. You know, we saw that he tried to kill her originally, and that's how she ended up on uh, on Hala. But we didn't really get to see like how they got close. What what are they to each other? It, what why did he take a liking to her? Why did he decide to train her? They they didn't really develop him at all. They just kind of and you know that whole thing where. They were going to have the fist fight, and then they didn't, and she ends up, you know, whatever shoots out of her hand, they did that to him, and then they, like, that was a good opportunity for them to, like, throw in some dialogue that shows what, you know, exactly what Captain Marvel means to to him. Did he take a liking to her? Was he originally going to kill her? And then he just decides, you know, what did he see in her? Didn't really go into that. The scroll being the good guys was weird to me. I liked it. It was a good twist. But now it makes me wonder, and I've been reading a lot of stuff about this, will the MCU ever have a scroll secret invasion? Because it seems like the scroll are pretty much on the verge of extinction and they don't have any reason to be bad guys right here. I agree with you on Jan Rog, uh, played by Jude Law. I think it was a little bit underdeveloped. And it was a shame that they didn't go ahead and had a chance early. They, they had a chance earlier in the movie to go ahead and develop his character and chose not to. I just think the Cree homeworld 
was underdeveloped as a whole. I think they should have spent more time on that homeworld to see what, what you know, because I think a lot of people, especially Marvel fans, are curious about how Marvel, you know, actually perceives and views the Greek homeworld. Maybe we're going to get more of that in the coming movies. I'm, I'm sure we probably will from either Captain Marvel 2 or some of the other space movies like Quasar and Fo or maybe even Photon if, if, if they make one of her or some of the other movies that they're going to have that are space-based Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So if, if that's the case, I think they'll probably develop the Kree homeworld more, but that is a place of, of great interest to a lot of people. And I think they you know, barely having it in the movie was maybe a little bit of a faux pas on their part as well. Well, if the rumors are true and they're actually developing a Silver Surfer movie, that would be the perfect opportunity to kind of explore that war between the Kree and the Skrull a little bit, because that's, you know, the Silver Surfer, he, was, uh, he visits planets, you know, it's a good chance for them kind of to, to develop that a little bit. And the, the other thing was, so Marvel again, in the continuities that I've read, was always a, a, a man, and he wasn't you know, a scientist. So I'm just, the, that was just kind of a weird twist for me too. Before, okay, so dislikes, though, that's it. You know, not, not really any big things. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. I do want to talk to you, though, because I know you're you're really, really like pushing the the social part of the film. Did you think that it came through on that stuff? I think it came somewhat through, but I don't think it, it was very overladen with it. I don't think it put it out there as far as it to any great extent. Yeah, it was a little too a little bit for the fact that she overcame the abuse that Jan Ra gave her and it overcame all the obstacles to go ahead and become the powerful being that we know she would become. So, yeah, obviously there is some of that in there. I, I don't think it beat you over the head with it enough to say, hey, you know what? it's not going to get its point across as well as it should be. I think little girls and women of all ages can actually get inspiration from, from it because there are points in time, there are certain lines that women can take heed from it and, and go forward. But it's it's fine with me in its assessment. I, and that's what I, I, I liked about it, that it just didn't try to force it. It just it was there and it was there or in an organic enough fashion. And Brie Larson conveyed that part of it enough well enough to go ahead and, and be able to go, you know what, this is something that we want to go ahead and model our character after for some time to come. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree they didn't really beat you over the head with it, but when it was on screen, it was obvious, and that's fine, you know, like there, there's, but it, you know, in their attempts to kind of deliver like the we don't need men type thing, like it felt like it, the film was becoming aware of itself when it was doing that stuff, and like that I don't know. It just feels like it could have been written to the written into the plot a little bit better. Because you know, you look at a like Wonder Woman, right? Wonder Woman didn't really have to make any any jabs at at that type of thing in order for people to walk out and be like, "Whoa, that was a really cool movie." So I'm just I'm I'm wondering, you know, Captain Marvel aside, going forward for people like Black Widow, for example, like when her movie comes out, do does she really need to 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 make jabs like that or does a a successful female character have should she just be able to do her own thing without having to rely on like a, you know a trope or something like that should they should you just watch that movie from start to finish and then not have her feel like she's delivering a message like that and then have people walk out and be like okay that was kind of cool like what is wh where is the line in that do you think there is a line, but I, I'm not sure where it's drawn. It's just as long as you're not trying to be very overt over it and just force it down people's throat. I just think it's as long as you go ahead and and have it there as a moment of of excitement, as a moment of of peak storytelling. That's fine. Just don't go ahead and just continue on uh, like they like they did. They they didn't go ahead and just find every 10 minutes to go ahead and, and put that message across. They put the message across when they needed to get across 
and basically it was still left to as far as for all audiences to go ahead and be able to enjoy the movie enough so that, yeah that's, yeah, that's I mean, what i think i mean yeah yeah i mean there there's some things that i picked up on that i you know i think was was wasted as far as like this, this time that could have been spent developing the character and doing it in a way that that developed her character instead of just it being a jab but you know the the other thing is like it the <laughs> the no doubt soundtrack i really did not that that feels like I, I don't know i stopped being able to take it seriously when that soundtrack was playing it was cool to watch but it just felt like i, I don't know it, it lost its its seriousness when they started playing no doubt what did you think about that part so something tells me you're not going to catch gwen stefani when you come up here to vegas okay here's the, okay i always say this like everyone always says no doubt is like a staple of the 90s but i feel like no doubt's like a paper cut of the 90s because it just the songs are catchy yeah but like it to me it's like rush i can't listen to a, to a whole album because it just gives me a headache <laughs> okay <laughs> sounds like you're not just a girl but anyways <laughs> i thought there was other things that i liked about it lashana lynch playing the role of mario rambo i thought she was very good your thoughts on her character she was in the movie all too brief but the moments that she had she really had a chance to shine her she was she was okay the character that really stood out to me was the her kid like she she brought seemed to like have depth that the mom didn't have and so that was that was kind of cool to me because you know there aren't any african-american children in the mcu so that was interesting to see and like you know even my inner nerd was like what if she ends up being riri tony Stark, ironheart or she could be photon uh, yeah, that's, that's something that's that's they're thinking about i think that's true that's true could be could be man who knows who knows but yeah because during the time of avengers endgame our current during our our modern time right now she would be an adult of about what 25 per se yeah hold on let me um because if it takes place in the mid 90s flash forwarding 20 years later she would be about 25 28 yeah, that's true. I mean, that that could be. Who knows where they're going with that? Like that that could be really cool. Uh, but yeah, she, she the she was she was a joy to watch on the screen. Hopefully, that doesn't sound weird. But the uh, you know the mom was cool too. I just didn't. I I felt like she wasn't. Uh, we didn't get enough of her backstory. I would have liked to see more, like how they became friends. What was it that she saw in Captain Mar or in uh, you know Carol Danvers? All that stuff. We kind of got brief flashbacks, but again, that was through the kids. So I, I don't know. It feels like there's some development that could have happened, but didn't. But uh, who knows? Maybe in the next one, we'll see it. Maybe in the next one, we'll see it. But there were some good things and some not so good things. But overall, you thought the film was okay. There were some points in time where I thought the, the film was underdeveloped, as do you. But the overall, I think it's an okay experience. It's something, if it comes back on the TV, I, I'll probably watch it. It is that kind of watchable type film for me. It is not at the, uh, I guess the the you know the the real bottom of the MCU barrel, but it's certainly not at the top either. Yeah, so I gave it I would give it a six point five or a seven. Like I wouldn't give it go any higher than that. Like it was just a, a middle tier movie, and it was okay. Like it it was honestly it it was okay. Don't go in expecting it to be you know this amazing retelling of of Marvel's origin story because it feels like the the parts where they go away from the or marvel origin formula is where the film kind of slipped a little bit so go into it with an open mind but don't be expecting iron man as much as they tried to make it seem like that like i said for me it wasn't much better but it was a tiny bit better but it ended up like you said being in that okay range which yeah, okay, good range. So I, I think for both of us, it was the same type of experience. But I'm so happy to see so many people taking even more out of the film than what you and I did. It's just weird because we're on a roll, man, as far as our thoughts on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's no, di you know, no dichotomy of you thinking no one's bad, I'm thinking one's good. Like that even goes back to Guardians, all the way back to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. We've been on a roll now as far as our thoughts, very similar on it. It's kind of weird, man. It's kind of weird. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because I wanted to find a bunch of things I hated about the movie so that you and I could have a good conversation, but I just, I didn't hate the things that I thought I was going to hate about it, and that's what made it kind of interesting to me. 
Yeah, absolutely. Overall, like I said, it's an okay film to watch. I, I do think people should go out there and, and give it a shot if they want to, because right now it is creating a lot of excitement. One last question before we head on out when it comes to the, well, you know what? I'm going to save it for our Friday show, because I think that's something we need to talk about. It might stir up a little bit of a hornet's nest. So I'll have you think about this for our Friday show. And that's that is this, my friend. Do you think that Captain Marvel is essential watching for the Marvel Cinematic Universe and essential watching for Endgame. I'm going to leave that to you for our Friday show. You think about that. You say, give you some you're, time you're to doing ponder. It, man, you're doing this. You're stirring. You're stirring the uh, the old controversy. All right. Well, I'm, not, I'm not saying is it a good movie to watch. So because we, we've shared our thoughts on it. If you go watch as a film, you go watch this film. We thought it was okay. If somebody tells me, like I've been asked like a dozen times already, how is it? I said, I thought it's okay. I think it's something that you might like and you might want to check out. A lot of people are taking great inspiration from it and are thinking it's really good. Our guys from Game Source, which broke it also down as well, that they really liked it. So, you know what? If you liked it, enjoy it. But is it essential watching in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Because I feel that there are movies out there in the 21 series of movies that you do not need to watch and you'll still know what's going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I will answer that question on our Friday show, if that is the case or if it's not the case going forward. So we'll have to wait and see, man. You just made this like the Empire Strikes Back of podcasts. If it it gained that many uh, of an audience, that would make me very happy person indeed. So once again, it is Gerald Glassford right here for you. And also my good friend, Josh Peterson, I also want to thank Jamie Monroy and Tony Monroy, Stereo Monroy from Game Source, for taking the time to go ahead and sharing their spoilerific thoughts on Captain Marvel itself. Any last thoughts on the way out? Yeah, if you haven't seen it, don't bother with the last end credit scene. It's not worth the time. It's funny how many people that watch Marvel movies, that know about Marvel movies, took off at the credit scene, even before the mid-credit scene. Was that the case with you? I mean, did, did people just get up and walk out and leave after the movie was over? No, so they, they uh, most of them stayed for the mid credit scene, but like I got up and left after that one because like I had, I had read about what the scenes were just because I don't, you know, it take that point from the mid credit scene to the last credit scene literally takes you another like eight minutes. So why, why am I going to sit there that long for a shot of a cat? So I just, I'll watch it when it comes out, you know? Fair enough. Fair enough. Indeed. Once again, it is Gerald Glassford and my good friend Josh Peterson. We want to thank you for listening to this Captain Marvel spoiler cast. And hopefully you'll get to check out all the great things that we're doing on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel and also our radio shows. Everything that we're doing on social media, online, our streams, the whole nine yards. Go ahead, subscribe today. We'd really, truly appreciate it. Of the over 1,000 subscribers we have on our Podbean channel, just go ahead and subscribe today so you get the latest and greatest from us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.